encourage everybody to get there and get connected to it. Okay, so I gotta, I'm, uh, I'm going to share with you. We started a series last week called Heart of the House and just talking about the partnership between us and God and how he's going to build the house, but we, we will labor with him to build that house. And uh, I shared with everybody the vision of where we're going as a church. And some of you may not have been here, but I just want to share with you real quick what God's doing and, and where we're headed. We, um, we purchased this building about seven years ago. We were in this building with a daycare. We were using it. We were renting it every week to do our daycare here. And the building had a big crack in the back wall and a big crack up here. And it was there when we came, and we knew it was here, but we didn't know what was going on. Uh, on, on a Monday morning, the county came in and said that the build, building may be on a sinkhole, and they shut the daycare down, and they shut the church down. They couldn't meet here anymore. And so uh, I was renting an office space on Immokalee Road, so I had the pastor move his congregation into our office space, and we uh, began to operate the daycare out of the office until we could find places to put the kids. And we bought the, uh, they found out it wasn't a sinkhole, that it was buried sediment in the ground, that the building had dropped four and a half inches, and they decided that, um, you know, they needed to shut it down. The pastor fought with State Farm trying to prove it was a sinkhole, and he lost his case, lost about $100,000, and his board contacted me and said, you know, we decided we're going to sell the building, and before we put it on the market, we'd like to offer it to your church if you'd like to buy it. So we bought this building. I prayed about it, like, that quick. He said, would you be interested? I said, let me pray about it. Yes, we'll take it. <laughs> and uh, we bought this building for $1.3 million. We've been in it for seven years. After about three years in here, we had eliminated the debt totally, and we were debt-free as a church. And for the last four years, we've been praying about what God wants to do. We went to the county. And uh, we tried to do a build out here, tried to build this sanctuary. This is just a metal stud building, and I wanted to just, it's approved for 25,000 square feet of building space, but we only have 8,900 built. And I was like, man, let's build out the rest of it, and let's build a little bit of bigger sanctuary, and this will become like a youth room or whatever. But uh, the county, uh, the neighbors and things fought the church growth and didn't want it to continue to grow here. And so we end up in a, this deadlock war with the, with the county and with the uh, officials. So I decided, you know what, we need to figure out what we're going to do. And uh, I went to, uh, the guy's name is Ray Bellows. He's the zoning, uh, zoning commissioner, the zoning director for Collier County. And I went to his office and I said, Ray, we've been trying to do this build out. We're hitting walls. We've got all kinds of opposition. And I need to do something. And if you don't want us to build that 6455 Hidden Oaks location, where should we go? And he took, he opened up his computer and he took a circle and he drew a circle around an area out towards the estates. And he said, if you build in this area, that's where we want you to go. And lo and behold, the, 50, the 43 acres of land that we've been praying about for 10 years was in the center of that circle. And, I, and, and we contacted, kept praying and asking the Lord. And finally, three years ago, we purchased that 43 acres of land for the church to go on. I asked him, I said, if you, you know, who should I hire for a civil engineer? And Ray said, I can't tell you who to hire, Pastor. I, just, I, I, I ethically can't tell you who to hire. I said, okay, I received that. But if you were me and you were going to hire a guy, who would you hire? He said, well, I'd hire Wayne Arnold because Wayne wrote the codes for the county, and we don't know what the codes are and how it's supposed to be. We call Wayne because he wrote the codes. 
So we hired Wayne as our civil engineer and Grady Minor Group, and we, we hired them. And it's been moving along really well. Um, but man, it's just a slow process in Collier County. We submitted. They said everything was fine. We got our conditional use. We got all the environmental studies done, $110,000. We got everything done the way we're supposed to be doing it. And then they said, okay, um, they wanted us to improve Crape Road. So they kicked it back. We, had to, we got to go through, widen the road, put sidewalks in, all that stuff. And then we agreed to everything. They said, okay, everything is fine. They've all agreed to everything. We should have it back in the next couple weeks. And they had uh, 21 days to respond. And they responded back with some more comments, which kicked it back again. So then you got to re-answer all their questions. The questions that they asked us were not even anything that was done wrong. They were just asking us questions. But because they asked the question, now it goes back to the review board again, 21 more days. So we did that twice. The third time, they contacted me and said, hey, everything should be approved on Tuesday of last week. We've already gotten everybody to sign off. So this week, I called on Tuesday. Any news? He said, no, they have, 20, they have 30 days on this review. And so it doesn't get approved until next Tuesday. So it's just been this ongoing process. And in the, in the middle of all that, I thought in my mind, we would wait to build the church out once we got the land paid for we owe $3 million. We put a half a million dollars down. Another piece of property came available right by the church for $500,000. We bought that piece of property as well because it's the neighbors that are closest to us. So we owe about $3 million, and I thought, we'll take three or four years. We'll get that paid off, and then we'll build up the building. Um, the daycare, our lease on the daycare is an 18-month. We have 18 months left on that lease. It was a five-year lease. We redid it for five years. And now we're coming up on an 18 months, that daycare will be done. And then I either have to sign another five-year lease or move it. And to find a space to move a, and put a daycare in Collier County is nearly impossible. So I was like, God, what are we going to do? And the Lord said, build the daycare first and get the daycare on there and, and get that on there so we don't lose that revenue that comes in from the daycare and we're able to continue to minister to the kids. So we got with the board and the elders. We all sat down. We talked about it. We decided we're going to build the daycare. If you could pull up the pictures of the daycare and just show everybody what the daycare looks like. This is the new daycare that we're building out on the property. If you're going down Immokalee Road, just before you get to the Greek Orthodox Church in that field where we park, at the end of the rock wall, that's where this building will go. We have to put a turning lane in there. So they're going to make us bring the church entrance in from that direction. So if you're coming from the estate, you've got to flip around and then come back in and turn in off of that turning lane. So just to put the turning lane in, to do all the groundwork for this, bring the water, sewer, and electric and all that in, is $1,035,000. Just the groundwork, not build the building, just the groundwork. I'm from Ohio, and that just, it, that's hard for me to even comprehend that it's that much money to do that, but that's what it is. And, and uh, so I already signed a contract to get that started because we got to get the daycare out there. Um, in the middle, I was on a television program. I was doing a nationally syndicated show, and we were sitting there, and we were talking about what God is doing, and the man that was hosting the show had a prophetic word for me, and he was on there ministering healing and ministering, and he said, Pastor Greg, I've got a word for you. The Holy Spirit says that God says, two years. You're going to be on that property in two years, and you, you need to change your thinking. You're thinking three to four years, but God says, no, it's got to happen quicker. You need to be on there in two years. And I, I, I received that. I don't know how that can happen, but I received that and just put it on the shelf. In the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit woke me up and showed me. If you could go to the indoor um, 
the layout. Where it says lobby and the uh, multi-purpose room, all of that was classrooms just like going around this way, but they were individual smaller classrooms where we could have infants for the daycare. This daycare is approved for 200 children. Our daycare that we're in now has 52 children in it, but this will be uh, 200 children. And in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit woke me up. Keith uh, Saronis goes to this church. He designed this building for me. And in that big multi-purpose uh, playroom, the whole back where the sage is, that was all screened in. And the side walls go up higher than the building, so the airflow would come over the top and down through that open-air play area, and the kids could just play with a covering over them. So we, we had that plan. And in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit woke me up and said, you need to get, your, you need to get there now and take and make that indoor play area your sanctuary. And so I contacted the structural engineers and said, can we wall off that back and, and the sides and air condition that space and make it a sanctuary? And they said, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. And uh, this building is 60 by 60. We have 300 chairs in here. The fire department came in, told us how many chairs we could put in here. We've got 300 seats in here. And that's what we have in here. But the new building will be 67 feet wide, so it's wider. And it's 80 feet long, which is 20 feet longer than this, which will enable us to put maybe 100 more people in each service. And as you can see by looking around, we need space. 19 families visited our church last week. And you say, well, are, are they staying? A lot of them are, but a lot of them see how crowded it is, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, let's, let's, you know what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm just telling you, this has been a good place for us, but we can't stay here. The Holy Spirit is moving, and we need, to, we need to partner with the Holy Spirit and get to that new property. And so God gave me the vision of, of how we would do that. And so here's the thing. On the, uh, the 22nd, is when the reviews are due back and hopefully we get a green light. When we do, I've already signed the contract for $1,035,000 to go ahead and do the turning lanes, the underground, redoing Crepe Road, and getting it all ready so that we can have service on that new property. And so I've already signed that contract and I'm asking everybody to sow a significant seed to getting it done. And I've asked everybody, last week I handed out an envelope to everybody, said heart of the house on it. It was just the heart of the house envelope like this. And I said, I don't want anybody to give anything in the Lord unless the Lord tells you to give. You remember? And so I pray that you have prayed about your giving and what you can do. I pray that you've sought the Lord about it. And I'm going to ask the ushers if they could pass out an envelope to everybody, everybody in the room. And I'm going to ask you, we've got to the end of the year. It's, it's a year, end of the year campaign. So we've got some time before they get started. They'll bill me in increments. But we need to raise a million and thirty-five thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. But I'm telling you, it's not a lot of money for God, and it's not a, a lot of money if you'll be obedient and do what God's tell you to do. And I just, I just want you to, before you write anything on here, you may not be prepared to give it today. But if you'd make a faith pledge and say, "Hey, by the end of the year, this is what my wife and I are going to do," and I'm asking individually for people to do this, okay? that you and your wife would pray about what you should give. But once you get that envelope in your hand, we're going to write on it, and then we're going to receive those so that we know where we're going and, 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 uh, and how we're going to get there, okay? So I'm asking everybody to sow a significant seed. Years ago, Bobby told it last week when we were at a Miles Monroe conference in, um, in uh, Marco Island, on Marco Island, uh, Miles was getting ready to receive an offering, and my wife said, be the first one. I said, what? She said, be the first one to give. 
And I'm like, okay. So I just got up out of my seat. He was still talking, and I just stood there with my hand open and waiting. And uh, my mind started running. I'm like, what if he asked for $10,000 givers? I'm like, I'm going to kill my wife. That's what I'm thinking. And I, th and I was telling myself, too, because another man come and stood on that side. I said, if Miles hands him the envelope first, then I'm going to go sit down because my wife said be the first one. So i got to be the first one, Lord. So just be the first one. And uh, Miles said, I'm asking uh, everybody to give $1,000. And I, I took my envelope. And God changed and transformed our life through that giving. And I'm asking everybody just to pray about what's your role in this. You know, this is, we're not building a building for ourselves. We're building a building for the lost. We're building a building for those that are coming. We're building a building for our children and our grandchildren. My little grandson, Titus, he used to stand with me every service. When I'd come up here, he'd come stand with me. And I've always looked at him and said, one day he'll lead this church. One day he'll preach. One day he'll be the one. And I just pray that we would all see that, that we we're going to build a building so that no matter what, long after we're gone, if Jesus tarries, people will drive down a Mockley Road and see a building that we built, see a building that we invested in, and know that God's Holy Spirit is there. And that's what I'm praying for. Amen. So if you would, take your envelope. Go ahead and just write on there what God's speaking in your heart. And just ask the Lord to show you what to give and be obedient and give that amount. And make a pledge. It doesn't have to come in today, but by the end of the year, we need to receive that money to help us go forward and do all that God's called us to do. Amen. So ushers, if you would come and go ahead and write on them. Then uh, ushers, if you'll come and just gather those, that will be a great way for us to do that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, everybody. Habakkuk says, write the vision and make it plain. So that's what I'm doing is trying to make the vision plain and be real clear with everybody so everybody understands where we're going and what's going on. And, um, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, everybody. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, I want to speak just for a few minutes about what God's been speaking in my heart about the heart of the house. And... Um, I titled the message, A Three-Stranded three, a three Cord, A Three-Stranded Cord. The heart of the house here at Destiny Church is that all of us, every person in this room, develop into fully devoted followers of Christ. That everybody here would just become a fully devoted follower of Christ. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's my number one assignment as the pastor of this house is to make sure that you're prepared for the next life. You know this isn't all there is, Right? Huh? We all know that we're just pilgrims here. We're strangers here, and we're moving on to another place that Jesus said, that I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And there's a place called heaven. The Bible tells us real clear in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. There's a judgment coming. We're going to stand before the Almighty God who willingly allowed his son to die for our sins. Who, got, who paid the ultimate price of sacrificing his own son and allowing him to die. And you and I are going to stand before him, and he's going to say, what would you do with that? What did you do with that? What did you do with that opportunity I gave you to impact others? We're going to stand before the Lord, and I want to prepare you for that day. Nobody had any idea that Sam was going to heaven the next day after that meeting in the tabernacle a couple weeks ago. Nobody had any idea that when my heart stopped and I went to VFIP that I would be, I, I, I would be dead and for 15 minutes in a coma for three days. I'm telling you, you don't know what tomorrow holds. We have no idea what's going to happen in our lives, but we got to trust in God. 
And we have to know that God is preparing us to be fully devoted followers. My second role is to equip us to live our best life now. I want you to experience kingdom life now. He said that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants us to experience that kind of life now. Listen, your best life, if you're writing notes, write this down somewhere just to put it in your heart. Your best life is not lived alone. Your best life is not lived alone. Ephesians 4.12, or Ecclesiastes 4.12 is where we're going. If you want to open your Bibles and go there, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse number 12. Anybody know who the wisest man in the Bible was other than Jesus? Solomon. Solomon is famous for being the wisest man in the Bible other than Jesus, and tradition teaches us that Solomon is the author of three books of the Bible. He wrote three books of the Bible. In his early life, he writes a book which is probably the most themiest book in the Bible. It's, it's actually rated, so if you're single, you've you got to be careful reading this one. But it's called The Songs of Solomon. And it's a really good book, and it's all about romance, and it's all about uh, a, a husband and wife's relationship. And it, it's really good, but it's kind of rated, so if you're single, be careful. Songs of Solomon uh, uh, was written by Solomon, all right? And in the middle of his life, he wrote the Proverbs. This, I mean, this is what tradition teaches us, that in the middle of his life is probably when he penned Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And everybody in this room needs a daily dose of Proverbs. No matter where you're studying, no matter what you're reading through in the Bible, you should always be able to go back and take those Proverbs and have a daily dose of Proverbs in your life because it's written from one of the wisest men in the Bible. And then late in his life, he, he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, which is also a book of wisdom. But Ecclesiastes, like, it, it, when you read it, it's good to have some outside commentary to help you process it, right? I mean, you, you, you may need some help understanding it because it's written by an old man who had seen it all, done it all, experienced it all, knows it all, and he's writing in the golden years of his life, but he's writing it with a little bit of a cynical view. And so it's good to have some help reading that and understanding it. But it's in this chapter, the book of Solomon, or the book of Ecclesiastes, where I find our key verse, and it's Ecclesiastes 4, verse number 12. It says, Though one man may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Everybody say that. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Three strands is God's design for relationship in our life. A three-stranded cord, and I picked up this cord, uh, I actually went and picked it up early this morning at Home Depot, but it it's, it's, it's shows us a three-branded cord. There's three that are entwined, and it represents our lives. The first strand is our, our vertical relationship with God. This is the most important relationship in your life. This is the most important thing in your life. And your life has to be entwined around God on a regular basis. And he's teaching us. He said, this is what's important. But you also need a third strand that will come around your life. 
And that is friends, that is people, that are significant, meaningful relationships that God puts into our lives. And when those three are woven together around God, it is when we find the most purpose in our lives. It's how we are designed. It's in our DNA from the time that we were born. We desire and need relationships in our lives. We are designed for meaningful relationships with the Creator first and then with others. A minimum of two people with God in the center of that relationship is a three-stranded cord, and it's not easily broken because God is the center of it all. Your relationship with God is the most important relationship that you will ever have. You need to understand your best life is not lived in isolation. We're built for relationships. And it's the heart of this house that we become fully devoted to Christ and we also have meaningful Christ-centered relationships with others in this room and others in this world. People who are Christ-centered who come around us and are able to strengthen us through life's challenges. This is what discipleship is all about. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, 8, 19, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about a three-stranded life. That we disciple each other and we pour into each other. We are meant to be in meaningful relationships. And once your relationship is correct vertically, then horizontally, everything else begins to fall in place. When we're not in alignment spiritually and we try to build meaningful relationships around us, that's when we become a target for the enemy. We've all been in those horizontal relationships, right? We've all been in in friendships. We've all been in meaningful romance relationships. We've all had people around us, even business partners around us, who horizontally everything looked good. Soulishly, it looked good. It felt right until it began to progress. And you begin to realize God's not in this. And when you get entwined with the world and you begin to allow the world to have too much influence on you, I'm not saying we disconnect from friends that don't know Christ. No, we need to keep reaching out and we need to keep loving them. But you and I are built to have our relationship with God and others around us supporting us in our, in our walk with the Lord. I say all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me who you're investing your time, your treasure, and your talents is, and I'll show you what your destiny is going to look like. The enemy's most effective weapon is isolation because we were built for relationships. And when we're not in right relationships, our capacity is diminished. When you're in the right relationship with Jesus Christ and you're connected with Christ-centered relationships, that's when you begin to experience your best life. That's when you begin to experience the best version of your life. In other words, that's when we see the best version of you. And I wonder, have we seen the best version of you yet? Are we seeing what God designed you for? Is that flourishing in your life? You have gifts. You have talents. You have purpose. You you have special things that God created in you. There's nobody like you on the planet. And if we're not seeing the best of you, I challenge you to look around you and say, where is my life entangled? Where's my time? Where's my treasure? Where's my talents? What am I focused on? Is it the agendas of of this world or is it God-centered, God-focused agendas? If you know that there's more in you, more potential, more calling, more ministry, a better marriage, more talent, 
more ability, if you realize that there's more in you, a better business that God hasn't re revealed yet, I'm going to tell you, it can be revealed with the right relationships. The key to finding the best version of you is discovered through right relationships. And I'm going to say it again. The best version of you is experienced as your life is centered in Christ and connected with others through Christ-centered relationships. I guarantee it. I, 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 say all the, I, I just say this all the time, and I understand it's a fact, man. Any, anything you need can be gotten, can be received, can be achieved through the right relationships. Everything in life is based on who you know. There's favor based on who you know. There's accessibility based on who you know. And if you don't build the right God-centered relationships in your life, the enemy will push you into isolation. In fact, God the Father, Jesus his Son, and the Holy Spirit, they show us a harmonious example of a three-stranded life. When you look at the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, what you see is this, this connectivity and this effectiveness that is available for you and I. We find it in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over everything on the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He did not say, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three-branded, the three-stranded life. In fact, in Genesis 2.18, God said, it's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. He's, not, he's speaking to both genders here. He's speaking to every person in this room. He's saying, it's not good that you're in isolation. In a study of suicides, they found that the predominant risk of suicide is because of social isolation. The enemy comes in. It's either social isolation physically or mentally, where we disconnect, we've been hurt, we've been abandoned, we've, we've, we've had neglect in our lives, or we've had the enemy come in with those lies. My brother was here in the first service. My brother is 6'5". He weighs about 375 pounds. He's this big kid, man. He was my baby brother. But from the time he was a little boy, the devil began to put lies in his head and tell him that he was not what God created him to be, and that he was not going to be what God created him to be. And he began to allow things into his life like drugs and alcohol, and he lived a life of addiction and a life of pain, a life of isolation. And one day he called me. He was on airport pulling road down in East Naples. And he called me. He said, hey, bub. He calls me bub. He said, hey, bub, I'm coming towards you. I said, where are you at? He said, I'm walking towards you. He said, if I don't get some help, I'm going to die. He said, I'm so addicted, and I'm so broken, and I'm so messed up. If I don't get some help, I'm going to die. And Bobby and I put him on an airplane, and we flew him to Life Changers in, in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And because of relationship and men coming around him and the right godly relationships in his life, he found his calling, he found his purpose, and now he's preaching the gospel all over the country and raising up other men to know that they have a plan and a purpose for their life. But it didn't happen until he got out of that isolation and he got into an environment where God-centered relationships were in his life. In the study of suicides, the most common, prevalent thing is isolation. 
When the devil can isolate you, when he can, when he can pull you apart and get you alone, that's when you become so vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. And it's unacceptable in the church. Yet our human nature is to drift towards isolation. It's the cruelest form of punishment is to be put in solitary confinement. And when the devil can isolate you, when he can get you separated from everybody, when he gets you living your own little life, showing up for church, worshiping God, then going right back into that little world of yours and isolating yourself, the enemy will destroy your life. It's been medically proven that if you isolate from human touch and human voice, you'll go crazy. Case in point, Tom Hanks and Castaways. Wilson! Listen, there's been a lot of research on this. I'm not just telling you, I'm not just making up, you know, Castaways is just a, a movie, but, I, but there's been lots of studies on this. Renee Spritz conducted studies that showed social interactions with other humans are essential for children's development. It's essential. Spritz followed two groups of children from the time they were born until they were several, several years old. The first group were raised in an orphanage where the babies were more or less cut off from human con contact in their cribs. And they had a single nurse that would care for seven children. One lady caring for seven children in this orphanage. The second group of babies were raised in a nursery in a prison where their mothers were incarcerated. The mothers were allowed to give their babies care and affection every day. The babies were able to see one another in the room and the prison staff throughout the entire day. At four months, at the age of four months, the state of development with the two groups of babies was similar. The babies in the orphanage even scored a higher average on certain tests. But by the time the babies were one year old, the motor, the, the motor skills and the intellectual performance of those who were reared in the orphanage lagged behind significantly than those that were raised in the prison where their mothers could care for them every day. The or orphanage babies were also less curious, less playful, and more subject to infections. During the second and third years of their life, the children being raised by their mothers in the prisons walked and they talked confidently and they showed development comparable to those children who were raised in normal families. But the 26 children who were reared in the orphanage could only walk and manage a few words. The difference between that touch and that constant care and that constant relationship, it altered the way those children grew up. And I'm here to tell you, Satan knows this. And if he can isolate us, if he can get us offended and living hurt, that's why, that's why your flesh rears up when an usher speaks to you wrong. An usher can say something to you and you're like, man, what's up? What's his problem? What's his problem? And all of a sudden now you're like isolated. It's like you're in this little thing. Somebody doesn't speak to you in the parking lot. And all of a sudden you feel this offense come because we're built for relationships. And when you feel that, the enemy wants to isolate you and have you just come into church and say, I ain't going to do nothing. I ain't getting involved. I'm going because I need to be in church and it's a pretty good church, but I'm just not giving myself anymore because every time I do, I get hurt. And the enemy wants to isolate you and live, have you living in this world where you just come to church and go home. It's not God's plan, and it's not God's plan for this church. We are not built for isolation. We are built for relationships.
God created us with a hunger for relationships. At the very core of who we are, we are relational. In John 17, Jesus records his final prayer. It's sometimes said that when a man faces death, one's conversation reveals the deepest passions and hopes and dreams. And that's why we go out of the way to honor those who have dying wishes and death wishes. In Jesus' final hours, he gives us clear clues to his concerns. In John 17, verse 20 through 23, he says, I do not pray for those alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, three-chord strand, and that, you're, that, and that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, which I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, and that we may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as, I, as you have loved me. This is talking about unity in the church. This is his big concern. This is his last wishes. This is his final prayer that's recorded. When he records that prayer, he says, God, make them one. Make them flow in unity because when we're in unity, the glory comes. When you, are, you and I are walking in unity, the glory hits the house. And when strangers and visitors walk into this place, they sense the glory of God. Why? Because we are a three-chord strand and our lives have been brought here to this city for this time, for such a time as this, that we can become a strong family that can reach this world for Jesus. The unity of the church is a big deal. God wants us to become one. He wants his glory on his church. Us loving each other is a big deal. Us living as a three-stranded life shows the world Jesus. We want the harvest to come. We want to see a harvest of souls. I'm telling you, get your life centered around Christ. Bring other Christian brothers and sisters into your life and stand firm in your faith. Nobody plans to live in isolation, but it's the devil's plan. If God's desire is oneness, connection, and unity, then the primary work of the enemy is disunity, division, and isolation. I'm going to give you a few things here. An isolated life produces, number one, a loss of perspective. When you're living isolated, you're going to, you're going to have a loss of perspective. When we isolate, we have no outside voices speaking into our life. It happens to pastors all the time. Where they isolate, they don't have relationships with other pastors. And before long, you're going to find that they're going to fall and they're going to crumble because I need other pastors. I need my, my pastor, Pastor Kathan, to stay in my life. Oftentimes, when I finish preaching on a Sunday, he'll text me, give me bullet points that I preach, and he'll encourage me. Why? Because I need him in my life. As I'm centered around Christ, I need other men who are centered around Christ. That's why you call me every day, Bill, and stay connected to me because not only do I need you, you need me. You need me to speak into your life and to lift you up. And I'm telling everybody in this room, you cannot live isolated any longer. You need other Christian men and women, brothers and sisters, to come alongside you and to lift you up so that when I am weak, you are strong. When I'm going through a hard time, you're strong for me. When I'm at a deficiency, your sufficiency is enough to carry me. We need each other. We're the body of Christ. A loss of perspective. 
When you get isolated, nobody can speak into your life. And I'm going to tell you something. When you live isolated, you get weird. Those people are strange. And isolated people develop twisted theology. Huh? They start reading the Word and applying their own truth to it, and all of a sudden now they take a little bit of truth and they mix it with all this lies of the enemy, and now I don't need anybody. All I need is God. Yes, all you need is God, but I'm telling you, through God's Word, He tells you that not only do you need Him, you need others in your life. Number two, an isolated life produces a person who is vulnerable to attack. I talked about the suicides. And how the enemy will isolate the person in their mind or socially, isolate them into where they're living in a little room watching a television set, sitting on their computer, sitting on their phone, living isolated. And the enemy comes in and says, you are worthless. Sheep are never attacked in herds. They're attacked when they're isolated from the flock. There's a video that I saw of a water buffalo that had been separated from the the water buffalo. He was down by the water getting a a drink, and he got separated, and these lions were coming to get him. And man, I remember when all those buffaloes come back and start throwing them lions up in the air. It's like, we need each other. We don't need to be isolated. Predators attack in the isolation. Number three, an isolated life produces a, a fear of intimacy. When you're living isolated, people who don't have meaningful relationships in their life tend to be more fearful about opening up their lives to others. When you live in isolation, they fear rejection. They shut down. They have trouble having a heart-to-heart conversation because that's the plan of the enemy. he'll, He'll put a fear of intimacy in your life. You don't trust anybody anymore. Number four, an isolated life produces selfishness. Selfishness. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody calls me. Nobody invites me to the party. I see they were all having a party, but nobody invited me. Because, because of the, what my daughter, Riley, that we've adopted, because of what she's been through with her father and her mother abandoning her, she struggles with this all the time in her life. She'll see posts on Facebook or Instagram that they're all meeting somewhere and nobody invited me and nobody invited me. And we're constantly saying, nobody has to invite you. You're part of the family. Just show up. You don't need an invitation. You're, you're part of the family. You, 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 have, you have rights to walk into any room and, and, and be accepted. But the enemy loves that, man. He loves to, he loves to do that to us. He, he loves to make us selfish and, and nobody cares for me. This is what Proverbs 18.1 says. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. An isolated person doesn't want, to heal, doesn't want help from others. Number five, an isolated life produces poor health. This is a reality, folks. A study on relationships that tracked over 7,000 lives found out that over a nine-year period, the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those who had strong relationships. Three times more likely to die. Listen to this. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, alcohol use, but maintained strong Social, uh, they maintain strong, strong social ties. 
they lived significantly longer than those that had great health habits that but isolated. People who had bad habits, because they had good friends in their lives, lived longer than those that had good habits and were isolated. In other words, it's better to have a pizza with friends than to eat broccoli by yourself. Come on! Come on, if you keep isolating, you're going to die early. Some of you just need a big hug. You just need a big group hug, man. It's like, I'm just telling you, we need others. We need each other. Some advantages of living a three-stranded life include this. It's a more productive life. It's a more productive life. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. A friend of mine who's a pastor also takes care of cattle. He's got a big cattle farm, and he takes care of cattle. And the other day, he was going out to check on his cattle, going to this pasture, and he was in his ATV, and he was going through, and he's checking out this pasture. When he went through this little low spot, he said, man, it felt really soft. And he's like, whew, that was, I almost got stuck. But when he came back, he was coming in the same tracks and thought he would be okay. But when he hit it, he just sunk all the way down. And he was stuck. And he's way out in the middle of nowhere. It's like nowhere where a tow truck could get to him. But he had his cell phone. And he called a friend, Robert Townsend. He called Robert. He said, hey, I'm stuck. No, he called Robert. And Robert answered the phone. He said, you need bail money? <laughs> he's like, no, I don't need bail money. But I do have a problem. I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the middle of this field. And Robert said, where are you at? Told him the directions. Robert got home, got his vehicle, headed out there, and Robert and his son showed up to this guy's side. He said, I could have been there all day long. I could have pushed. I could have tried everything. And there was no way I was going get, to get unstuck. But when I called Robert and he and his son showed up, in just a few minutes they had pulled me out and I was out. Some of you are stuck in life, man. You're just stuck, and I'm telling you, if you get the right Christian friends in your life, if you'd stop being so afraid to be open and transparent and share where you're at, we together can help you. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 20, where there are two or three gathered in my name. Where there are two or three gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. You know, it's been, we're going on two years since we hired Pastor Jason. And let me tell you, our church was doing great when we hired Pastor Jason. But because of our relationship and our, our ability to stay centered around him, about, around Christ, we are far more, we are, we're a much better church now than we were before. Because two are better than one. And our connectivity to the Lord, our relationship to Jesus Christ is what ties us together. I'm telling you, Pastor Gail and Joe have been a part of this church for years, and I'm telling you, we're better together than we are apart. I tell Gail all the time, Gail, if nobody shows up for the worship team, don't worry about it. If I got you, we're fine. You sing, I'll preach, we can touch the world for Jesus. Why? Because two are better than one. And I, I, just, I just want you to see this for your life. 
And some of you are living isolation. You think, well, it's just me and God. All I need is God. And I'm just telling you right now, yes, that's all you need to get to heaven is your relationship with God. But if you want to live successful on this earth, you want to flourish on this earth, you want your best life now, you got to get Christian brothers and sisters around you. I'm not saying don't, don't have friends that aren't saved. we got to love them. That's the only way we're going to get them into the kingdom of God. But you can't live in that. you got to live in this that produces that. Amen. Who are your connections? Some advantages of living a three-sanded life is it's a more productive life. Another one is this. Your life will recover from failure quicker when when you're surrounded with people. I can't tell you how many times Uncle Rick and I have had conversations about our personal struggles. You say, you guys tell each other that? Yeah, we tell each other everything. And we are not afraid to say, hey, I'm really struggling right now. I'm really going through a hard time right now. Why? Because he knows that I'll be strong for him. And I know that he'll be strong for me. And that I can share my heart with him. And he'll take it to the Father for me. And he won't take it to everybody else. But he'll stand with me. And he'll hold me accountable. That's what we need in this world. It's what you need in your life. It's not if you fail. It's when you fail. Life comes complete with faith, with face plants. We're all going to fail. Ecclesiastes 4.10, for if they fail, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. But pity anyone who falls who has no one to help him. Listen, I'm not saying we're meant to be completely dependent upon someone else. I, I, like, I'm, I'm dependent upon Bobby, and, 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 and thank God Bobby's dependent on me, but it's not, it's, it, it, it's not a codependency. See, a codependency is when, it, it's when two messed up people are sucking the life out of each other. That's not what we're meant to be. We're called to be interdependent, meaning your, my weakness is her strength. And her strength is my weakness. And when I have insufficiency, her sufficiency lifts me up. This is what we're built for. This is how we were created. So that when I am able to call Uncle Rick and say, man, I'm really struggling right now. And I'm really trying to figure this all out. And he's able to come alongside me and say, hey, Pastor Greg, I'll pray for you. I got you. You can tell me. I'm I'm confidential. I'm a man that will pray with you and stand with you. So that his strength now becomes my strength. Listen to me. You need to be stronger and more on fire for God than I am. So that when I'm hitting a moment, when I'm preaching and I'm floundering, and I don't seem like I'm preaching very good that day, you're going to say, come on, preacher, and call out of me, call out of me. And all of a sudden, now I start preaching like a man from another planet. We can't sit here and expect Gail and the worship team to take us into the presence of God. When they start, we ought to be more on fire of God so that when they've had a hard day and a rough day and they've had a struggle at home, they come in and start to hit that first keyboard and we're shouting, yes! If you've ever had a campfire and the fire's raging and you put tongs in there, you grab a log and pull it out of the fire, it's burning, it's hot, but all of a sudden that flame will dwindle out and before long there's just smoke. We're meant to carry the fire of God together. Listen, you should be having encounters with God by yourself. There are to be times in your daily devotion and walk with God. For every teenager, I'm telling you, there are to be times where you, have been, you just start reading the Bible and all of a sudden you can't stop crying. 
Where the Holy Spirit takes a, a, a Logos word and makes it a rhema word. It comes in your heart, in your life, and it stirs you. And you're convicted and you're challenged and you have a, a shout in you. There will be times for every one of us where that happens. But I'm telling you, you can't maintain that by yourself. When you isolate that from the fire, all of a sudden it will dwindle out. We've got to have right relationships. You've got to get connected. You can't keep coming to the church every other week or once a month or whenever you feel like it and expect God to do something in your life. I'm telling you, when we link arms, when we stand in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can tear down any wall. We can run through a troop. There's nothing that the enemy can do to stop us. Advantages of a three-stranded life. When, when we live a three-stranded life, the life doesn't grow cold spiritually. This was Ecclesiastes 4.11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? We need each other. We need each other. The last one, advantages, Ms. Gale, if you could come to the keyboard. Advantages of living a three-stranded life is this. It's a life that experiences victory in battles. It's a life that experiences victory in spiritual battles when we live three-stranded. When we walk together, we will experience more supernatural signs and wonders and miracles in our lives. I'm asking our church to get connected to other believers. Invite them to your house for dinner. This was big up north. Like, we had friends that come over and hung out that we spent time with. And in Florida, it's just different. It's such a transient place. People come, people go. Everybody's nice to you. Everybody's got a smile. But then they leave, and it's like, maybe I'll see you at Publix next week. We need friends. You need friends. You need prayer partners. You need people who can come alongside you and build relationships in you. It's the, it's the theme verse, Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. This is what happened in the New Testament church. Acts 2, verse 46. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When the world sees the unity, when the world sees us living open-handed and open-hearted, it'll bring the glory into our lives. Don't be distant. Currently, people who profess faith in Jesus Christ yet do not attend church make up the largest religious category in America. They're the largest group in America. People who claim to be religious but don't ever go to church. This is what Paul said. This is what Hebrews says. Hebrews 10.25 Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of son, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need each other. Would you stand up on your feet with me, please, everybody, all over the room?
bow your hearts to the Lord, please, everybody all over the room. And I ask you the question, are you living your best life now? Are you surrounded with God-centered relationships that strengthen you? Thursday night, we have a ministry called Forge Men's Ministry. It's a group of men that get together, and we use that phrase, forge, because it means iron sharpening iron. Forge together in Christ. The women's ministry of this church are building connections and connectivity to each other, and they're supporting each other. The called-out believers, this prayer group that's meeting online to pray for the church, they, they're building a connection to each other. And I'm just telling you, the Holy Spirit's calling you to be a part. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? If Jesus comes tomorrow for you, if you're like Sam, you wake up in the morning, get in your car and drive down the road, and that's the last moment, that's the last words that you've had with your family, would you be, would you, do you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven? I had no idea that my heart was going to stop. No idea that things were going to happen. I felt great. I was playing basketball at 3 in the morning with all the kids. I was just loving it. Life was good. Church was growing. Everything was good. But in a moment, everything changed. What about you? If it, if it changed tomorrow, is Jesus the center of your life? Is your life entangled around Christ? Or is your life compartmentalized where you have church on Sunday, but in the world you're a business guy that doesn't bring Christ into the business world? You're in the marketplace all week, so you, you have this life and that life. God says, that ain't going to work for me. He said, I wish you were hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Everybody close your eyes, bow your hearts to the Lord. I'm asking you to take a minute and review your life. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and do what he says. If you were to die today and you don't know sure, for sure you go to heaven, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to lift your hands to the Lord. But I'm going to ask everybody to look at me right now. Just look at me. Because if you're ashamed to do it in here, you'll never live it out there. And you got people in here that are praying for you right now that you would make a stand, that you would, you would allow Jesus Christ to transform your life. I'm not asking you to give God a piece of your heart or your heart. I want you to give God your life. I want you to trust him for everything, your next meal, your next, your next paycheck, your next uh, friend, whoever it is, whatever it is, that you would trust God to bring it into your life. So on the count of three, if God's speaking to you, respond. Respond. There's no addiction that God can't break. There's no lie that he can't expose. There's, 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 no, there's no lie of the enemy that God can't bring truth to. On the count of three, I just want you to lift your hands to the Lord and let the Holy Spirit deal with you tonight. Hey, brother, I appreciate you lifting your hand already, man. I see you. God's with you already. One, two, three. Lift them up to the Lord all over the room. Those of you that know God's calling me out of isolation, God's calling me into this intimate relationship with him. I got to stop living my own life. I got to go in, all in with God. Just lift your hand right now and hold it up to the Lord. Hold it up to Jesus. Now, everybody with your hand raised, come to the altar. Just come to the altar. Come kneel right here. If you can't kneel, sit. Just sit on the edge of the steps. Sit here. Find a place. Come stand. Come right now. Turn to somebody around you and say, hey, you want to go? Let's go pray. Yeah, you don't have to think, well, this is just a call for those that don't know Jesus. No, it's more than that. It's a call for everybody that wants to go all in with God. 
Say, I'm tired of living in isolation. I'm trying to live it in secret. I'm going all out, bold faith, to live my life for Jesus Christ. A three-stranded cord. 